following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, starts with you, you guy, that's right, in the back there, yeah, I can see you back there, you all back there, you all here, it says you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, what is that? What does it mean to be spiritual? And by the way, are you more spiritual in the desert than you are in the city? Are you more spiritual wearing a suit or wearing jeans? Are you more spiritual in a church building or in a high school auditorium or, worst of all, in a tent? Where, where are you most spiritual? What does it mean to be spiritual? Philip Ryken comments, everyone is interested today in spirituality, everybody, but no one seems to agree on what it means. You realize that in the marketplace today that spirituality sells, right? The bookstores are loaded with books on angels and near-death experiences, especially if you're a little boy, and ancient pagan religions. The internet is filled with websites uh, by New Age gurus. But sadly, you can even take that confusion into the church. The reason that spirituality actually does sell is that people can make it whatever they want. Did you catch that? The reason it sells is people can make spirituality whatever they want. In fact, according to sociologist Robert uh, Wuthnow, Uh, Growing numbers of Americans piece together their faith like a patchwork quilt. Spirituality has become a vastly complex quest in which each person seeks what? His or her own way. Now again, that confusion finds itself in the church about spirituality. Some Christians find their spirituality in acts of private devotion, you know, their quiet time, or fasting, or prayer. And then there are others who find their spiritual life beginning in church by reciting certain ancient liturgy, or lighting candles, or waving incense, or it comes from playing the right music, you know, songs or hymns, songs that are sober and quiet, or ones that have a little country western beat, uh, that kind of thing. Still, other Christians seek emotional, spiritual experiences. The feelings is what they're going for, and they want the Holy Spirit to deliver them, to work in them, to to make them feel different. Well, the letter to the Galatians this morning is going to offer you a totally different perspective on spirituality, and it happens to be the right one because it comes from God's Word. Uh, Christian spirituality is based on a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ that comes by grace through faith in Him alone, and it it really is on Him who has spoken His eternal word for us and to us. The spiritual life is not something that you define yourself. 
True spirituality is defined by the existence and character of the one true God revealed only in the Word of God. So, contrary to what some Christians think the spiritual life is, it's not something that we produce in ourselves. In fact, simply stated, the genuine spiritual life flows from the third person of the Trinity. Third person of the Trinity. The life of the Holy Spirit can be nurtured by using the means of grace. And a means of grace would be like a quiet time or your study in the Word or prayer. It's cultivated by those means of grace and even attending public worship. But the spiritual life itself comes from God. Only the Spirit, only the Spirit can produce the fruit of love and peace and joy and patience kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control out of Galatians chapter 5. Again, that's where we were. So now we're working our way to chapter 6, the last chapter of this book. And get this, the Spirit does not produce His fruit for our private enjoyment. Let me say it again. Listen, when you talk to people, and I want you to get this about spirituality, what, what they define it as is I had a spiritual internal experience. I had something feeling going on inside of me. That is not how the Bible defines spirituality. In fact, what you're going to find here is that true spirituality is not an individualistic quest for self-fulfillment. The life of the Spirit flourishes for the sake of others. Write that down. Spirituality only flourishes for the sake of others. It is not experienced primarily in private but exercised in public. That's spirituality. Spirituality does not grow in isolation, but within a community of believers who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. In fact, the true spiritual life is meant to be shared. Shared. Influencing others. Genuine spiritual living is less like a fruit tree hidden away in a secret garden, and it's more like a fruit tree that grows in a public park. It's for everybody. Spirituality is not, I had an experience within. That's not it. But what God did through me for others. Are you getting this? It's what God did through me for others. So now, chapter 6 of Galatians describes a genuinely spiritual church and a genuinely spiritual Christian. He does. Spiritual friend. What are they like? What are they known for? What do they prioritize? Uh, what are they willing to do? What's, what is the spirituality that demonstrates that they are indwelt with the Holy Spirit? Well, read aloud with me what Paul says from your outline in verses 1 through 6 of Galatians 6. We're going to take two weeks to work through this single paragraph, noting that Paul is speaking to churches in verses 1 and 2. Stay with me. He's speaking to churches in verses 1 and 2, and then in 3 through 6, he's primarily addressing individual Christians. That's the way the basically plural in the first two and mainly singular in the last four there. But read this out loud with me from your outline and see if you can really grasp what it means to be spiritual. Here we go. Ready? Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted." Bear one another's burdens, and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. 
for each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches them. Now, verses 1 through 6 make it really clear to be spiritual is to one another each other. To be spiritual is to one another each other. Did you catch it here? Look at this passage. Spiritual people restore one another. They bear each other's burdens. They consider others more important than themselves. They're responsible for their own lives, but they don't think too highly of themselves, and they share with one another. Again, spirituality is not an internal experience. It is something that God does through you for others. This is a leap for many of you. Okay, we have to change the way we think. Not only is the Lord asking you to live differently than our culture, but our king now is asking you and me today to basically live different than most Christians and most churches because they're trying to drive up an emotional feeling internally when actually it's expressed by giving yourself away and God working through you. Are you tracking with me? That's how it's defined here in Galatians 6. For most of it, it's difficult for us to be different from our friends it's, it's really tough to disagree with our family, uh, to live contrary to our upbringing, and even different from the churches that we've been a part of, but that is what God is calling the Galatians to do today, and that's what he's calling you to do. He wants you to change that perspective. If you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, then verses 1 through 6 is what a spiritual person does. One more time. If you're dwelt with the Holy Spirit, then verses 1 through 6 is what a spiritual person does. This is how the Christ-like behave. This is what is a truly spirit-filled church looks like, not people swaying back and forth, falling down, shouting, or speaking gibberish. That's not what a spiritual experience is. Six main indicators talk about a spiritual church here. They are the exact same as the six main qualities of a spiritual friend. And when you cooperate with God and the indwelling Holy Spirit, this is what you're like. So verses 1 and 2 this week, We'll talk about us as a church, verses 3 through 6 next week, talk primarily about individual Christians in our midst, primarily. So what does Paul say is a spiritual person? Are you ready? Verse 1, you pick others up. You pick others up. Okay, you pick others up. Being spiritual first means restoring one another's over the difficulties of sin. Look at what he says in verse 1. Brethren... If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are, what? Spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness or meekness there. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Now every word here is absolutely vital. He starts with brethren. And he's talking to the church family here. He's basically talking to, I think, just not just brethren and men, but women, sistren, and all sons and daughters of the one true God. Uh, the fact that we're a family and forgiven, though, would you agree? It does not stop the fact that some of us are struggling with sin. Anybody with me on this? I think you are. So understand, uh, if you're struggling with sin, when we're not filled with the Spirit... And when we're living by our own strength in the flesh, and the deeds of the flesh are sin, and he's just talked about that in chapter 5, so we can be walking towards Christ normally, having a great time, and then all of a sudden, we're slipping into sin and we get stuck in that. Now, Paul makes certain you know that it could be anyone. That person sitting next to you right now, I don't care how godly they are, it can be anyone. What's he say? Look at it. Brethren, if, even if, what? What's the next word? Anyone so might be caught. It doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or a spiritual leader. Anyone. I mean, the, 
a new high school Christian gal or an older godly woman can slip into doubt and fear just as easily. So the Greek word caught there is basically describing someone who might be caught in the act of sin, like uh, John 8, 4, the, the one when caught in adultery. Or it might describe someone who's just walking along the road toward heaven, like we all are, if we're Christians, and they slip on the ice of temptation and you fall down and now you're stuck. You can't get up. And then it becomes intentional. Then it becomes deliberate. It becomes habitual, even though it's unexpected. And now they're down. And in the context of Galatians, it is most likely a reference to the works of the flesh here. All right? Galatians 5. What did he say in Galatians 5? Take a look at it. The impurity of, like, pornography or the idolatry of a person or a place that you go. Strife between friends. Jealousy of a classmate or outbursts of anger against your kids or disputes with a fellow worker or disputes with your spouse or becoming drunk at home Paul clarifies caught in any trespass. It can be any sin that he's talking about here. It doesn't matter what it is, but you're stuck. A little lying, uh, some hidden lusting, ingrown eyeball selfishness, secret pride, any sin. And trespass, when he says trespass, what he's talking about is basically getting off the path and going where you're not supposed to go. You allowed your mind to dwell there. Or you started to look long there, and there are times when a disciple following Christ trips up. Can I hear an amen to that? Thank you. Falls down, gets stuck in sin. And in the process of being a disciple, sometimes you need counseling to get unstuck. So Paul gives you God's solution here, right? What you're going to see in this verse are three questions answered. The one is, what do you do? Secondly is, who should do it? And number three is, are you ready? How is it done? So what do you do? Who should do it? And how it should be done right here in the outline. So let's go through it as we track through this particular verse. What should be done? So Paul's very direct, verse one. What does he say? What do you do? A- answer from the text. Everybody? Restore him. There you go. Restore means to return to its former condition. All right? Get him back up, walking with the Lord, filled with the Spirit. Restore means to return to, basically, it's a term that's used in medicine of setting a broken bone or resetting a dislocated joint. Now, when you break a bone, um, you have to isolate it to heal, right? And in order to make sure that that bone mends, uh, you've got to make sure that you're careful as you set the bone. Anybody with me on this? So this is going to require some care on your part. When you trip up into some sin and get stuck, what God is saying here is he wants us as a body, friends, brothers and sisters, to restore that person, to fix what is broke, to get you back on the road towards heaven. He wants us involved. That's, wait, 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 wait. That's what a spiritual Christian does. A spiritual Christian doesn't stand aloof. A spiritual Christian comes to what? Help to mend. Now this is radical stuff because most Christians today, they run away from people who are stuck into sin. And you don't run away. That person has slipped on the ice of temptation and now broken in sin. No, you run to them. You don't ignore them. Now, how do Christians do this wrong? Let me give you three ways they do it wrong. They all start with T. 
you're a spiritual medical student right now, okay? Spiritual medical student. So, but you don't want to be a timid. That's the key one, timid. You don't want to be timid. Timid medical students who see the bone sticking out of the arm are afraid to touch it or render aid. As a result, the bone never gets set and the wound doesn't heal. You can't be timid. You got to get in there. You can't just be aloof. Or if you're not timid, you're talky. (laughs) Talky. Talky med students want to describe just how awful the bone is sticking out of the arm. Uh, They love talking about just how bad their sin is or about the patient who fell. They love to criticize them for falling into this mess and needing to go to the spiritual ER in the first place, right? That's the talky one. Maybe you're a talky. You just like talking about it. You want to do anything, you talk about it. But the worst med student is not timid and not talky. He's the terminator, okay? The terminator. This is the self-righteous med student who wants to terminate the one who's fallen in sin, as if they'd never battled with struggle or with sin themselves. The terminators are church attenders who want to shoot their wounded. Are you getting it? That's what they want to do. Which one are you? Are you timid? Are you talky? Or are you the terminator? Paul tells us the genuinely spiritual believer, okay, if you're spiritual, you seek to restore. Restore. What do you do? You fix their bone. Now, Christians are caught into sin. They don't need isolation. They don't need amputation. They definitely don't need cremation. They need restoration. Restoration. When you hear of a slip and then they're stuck into sin, are you harsh? Are you critical and judgmental? Or are you broken and comforting? And helpful. Restoring someone is rushing to them and picking them up. Picking them up. They've fallen into sin and you help them get to their feet again. Now, in every church, there will be a few who pretend that they want help with their sin, but they really don't, requiring way too much time. And a lot of wisdom, it's very difficult and very draining, and that's just the existence of what we live with. But the New Testament teaches a lot about this process of restoration. It's called, in other circles, church discipline. And when it is, though, unintentional sin, it just slipped out. When it's not habitual, when it's not ongoing, nor overtly destructive or dangerous, then you want to apply a different approach, and that would be 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Look at it in your outline. Above all, keep what? Fervent in your love for one another. Stay passionate about sacrifice and caring for one another because love, what? Covers a multitude of sins. Listen, if you can get over it, then cover it. It's okay, as long as it's not ongoing, it's not destructive, it's not repetitive. You know, how many times have you sinned and people gave you grace? Anybody? Massive amount of times, and therefore it's covered. Again, we're not talking about intentional, defiant, ongoing, but Galatians 6 says when they're caught in sin and they're trapped, they're stuck, they're fallen, it's ongoing, it's a pattern, then you want to apply Galatians 6, as well as similar passage, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. Look at your outline. It says, if your brother is in ongoing sin, sins, 
That's present tense there. The variant reading would be, if your brother sins against you, so he's talking about personal sin there. Then he says, go and show him your fault in private. If he listens to you, you've what? One, your brother. Does anybody else have to know at this point? Yes? No? No. You don't go around and go, look, they're no longer dead. You just, just, it's you between you and them. But if he doesn't listen to you, you take two or more with you, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And then if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to, even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, four steps here. First, go to them privately. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell your family. Don't tell anybody else. Don't tell me. Please don't tell me. And go to them and seek to help them confess, repent, and get help. Seek them to confess, repent, and get help with their sin. You're there to help. Uh, Sin is a poison. You want to help them with that. And if we are a spiritual church, this should be going on all the time. All the time. Without anybody else knowing. The second step, if they don't confess, they don't repent, and they don't get help with their sin, then you confront them again with two or three witnesses who also seek to help, and they witness the confrontation. They don't have to witness the sin. They just witness the confrontation, and they're there to help, to pull, to encourage, to build them up, to pick them up, do whatever is necessary to help their brother who's stuck. The third step, now the elders are told, only at this point, and with the entire church family, then you plead. Everyone is pleading for them to repent, to turn from the sin that they're stuck in, doing everything we can to help them to turn away from it, and then if they refuse, they say, no, I'm get, my sin is more important than all of you. Then the fourth step, Matthew 18, 17, the entire church family cuts them off from the blessing of community and true fellowship. We turn away from them. Say, okay, you want to act like you're an outsider? Then we're going to treat you like an outsider. And therefore, hopefully, that would move you and the Spirit of God would work in your heart so that you would then be restored again to your church family and repent. Now, Galatians 6 and Matthew 18 are how to deal with personal sin. There is Titus 3. There's Romans 16. There's 1 Corinthians 5. Church discipline is all throughout the New Testament. You can't ignore it. It's who we are. You are there to try to, Galatians 6.1, what's your main goal? What are you trying to do? Restore. Restore them. It's a good word. Now, R.C. Sproul shocked me with a little bit of history because after the Reformation, there were so many different churches that had been given birth that they got together all these sort of beginnings of denominations at one point to determine what is a legitimate church and what's an illegitimate church. And you know what they determined? They determined three things. I didn't know this. They determined, number one, that the gospel would be preached, that an accurate gospel of what Christ has done and who we are would be preached. Secondly, they determined that they needed to practice the sacraments of baptism and communion. And thirdly, are you ready for this? Only these are legitimate churches. Thirdly, that church discipline was exercised. Wow. The Reformers agreed that if a church didn't practice church discipline according to the Word of God, then that church did not qualify as a valid church. What would the Reformers say today? Unbelievable. Now, we got to react to some things here because back in the 16th century, they were so serious, so serious about church discipline, they would actually torture their own members. Are you ready for that? In the church. They did. They invented devices that they would use in order to inflict pain on, in their discipline. Here's one. Look at it. You put that over your head 
And that little thing grabs your tongue. Oh, I know, it's gross. Why? Who's that for? The gossip. Oh, I just love that. Oh, it's so good. You say, why did they do that? That's a big question I had. Why are you doing that? We're dead in the Bible. <laughs> because they believed in a real everlasting hell. And they believed that it was justifiable to torture the body in order to save the soul. <laughs> in order to lead them to repentance. I, I just want to declare openly here. We practice church discipline. We do not practice torture. Now, there are some of you who might say, listening to a 50-minute sermon is torture. Okay, okay. But we do practice church discipline, humbly, graciously, hopefully as lovingly as we possibly can. But we go through that process because when someone's trapped in sin, then in addition, only when they're unwilling to repent, obviously, in order to be restored, and restored is not describing punishment, Restored is providing care. It's literally mending the net, repairing the bone. That's what the word means. Setting and settling the dispute. Helping those who slip to get back on their feet again. It's the one who's caught in sin who needs to be freed from sin. Right? It's an act of love. So, who does it? Who does it? Well, this is so good. Verse 1. Take a look at it. You see it? It says, you who are what? Spiritual. Simply stated, and you can put this down multiple times, it's the one who's in the Spirit. That's the context here. It's the one who's in the Spirit. Now, this is not an official person. This is not an elder, a pastor, a leader, but you who are in the Spirit, the spiritual. You don't wait for an invitation from the sin-caught Christian. You don't have to ask their permission. You who are spiritual, take the initiative. You go to them, even if they don't like it even if they don't want you to, and make certain you hear this, you don't send the sin-injured Christian to unbelieving counselors, but those who are spiritual, in the Spirit, walking according to the Word of God. The moment you're born again, you're indwelt with the Spirit of God. Again, one more time, Romans 8, 9, you know it. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian, period. Every Christian has all the Holy Spirit, and in that sense, every Christian is spiritual, but at any given moment, and in the context of Galatians, there are those who are filled with the Spirit, who are then walking in the Spirit, and those are the ones who are truly spiritual. They're walking in the Spirit, under dependence upon Him. Now, when you're filled, if you're repeatedly filled, you develop a walk, we've already talked about that, meaning you're dependent upon the Spirit of God. So you go through life dependently, hanging on to Him, you're saturated and obedient to the Word of God. You're not grieving or quenching the Spirit with any known sin, and you're wanting to be a servant and seeking to have Christ be known and seen through you, and at that moment, that person is spiritual. So he says, you who are spiritual, you're in the Spirit. One, you who are spiritual, those are the ones who are following Christ in the Spirit. Those are the ones who are keeping short accounts with the Lord in the Spirit. If you're truly spiritual, then you will seek to restore those caught in sin. One more time. Are you ready? Is a spiritual experience something that you experience internally? Yes or no? No. It is something that God does through you to someone else. And here he's talking about the spiritual or those who restore others. The ones who keep short accounts with the Lord are spiritual. So every Christian here 
is seeking to be in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And as you are in the Spirit, then you are to help any believer who's caught in any trespass. You say, but Chris, how's it to be done? I'm a little bit afraid of this. Oh, I'm so glad you asked because Paul answers that. Look what he says in the rest of verse 1. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. The reason only spiritual people should be restored sinners is that only spiritual people can. The reason only spiritual people should restore sinners is that only spiritual people can. They do so with a heart of gentleness. Right above gentleness, meekness. That's the correct term. And guess what? It's part of the fruit of the Spirit that was in Galatians 5. So when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're dependent upon the Spirit, you're going to manifest what? Meekness. And he's saying that needs to be a forerunner here. Uh, The Greek Gentile, or meek, means humble, considerate, mild, kind, gracious, even-tempered. And if sinners are restored gently, it will take a person to do it uh, because only a person in the Spirit can truly be gentle in the Spirit. As a Christian, if you're a harsh employer or you're a, a harping mom, it means a couple things. It means you're spiritually immature and you're not in the Spirit. Angry words are never necessary to defend God's righteous character and his perfect word. And the only way to restore a believer who's tripped up in sin and stuck there is with gentle, meek sensibility and sensitivity. It, it can't, if it can't be done gently, it should not be done by you. Let me say that again. If it can't be done gently, it shouldn't be done by you. Even Martin Luther. Was Martin Luther a bold guy? Anybody know any church history? This guy was a force to be reckoned with. I mean, he's, you know, out there shouting there, the Pope is Satan. You know I mean? He's just unbelievable, bold. Listen to what he says about what restore means. Quote, Martin Luther, run to him and reach out your hand and raise him up again. Comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. End quote. That's amazing, isn't it? Restore. Restoring a believer in bondage to sin is no different than setting a broken bone. The process is bound to be painful no matter who does it, but the more deftly the bone is set, the sooner the healing can begin, right? And again, verse 1, he adds, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. The big temptation, the big thing you got to watch out for when you're restoring someone, verse 1 is, write it down, pride. Pride. Paul's warning you since it's not difficult to feel self-righteous when you're correcting somebody else's sin. Are you with me on this? Or worse, when they repent, you might be tempted to take credit for that which only God can do. Oh, would you admit today that sometimes we take credit for what God does? Are you with me on this? Maybe their sin was gross. Maybe it was base and horrible and you've never struggled with that kind of sin. That circumstance can lead you to proudly exalt yourself over them or to proudly look down on them. And if you're restoring those who are out of control with immoral desires, the Bible even warns us we've got to beware that we would satisfy their desires ourselves. He warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, let him who thinks he stand take heed he does not what? Fall. So the truly spiritual believer doesn't watch from a distance 
they come alongside struggling Christians to help them uh, to overcome the bondage that they have in certain sins to restore them. You pick them up. You're trying to help them get back on the road towards heaven. That's point number one. Point number two is you hold them up. You hold them up. The second kind of spiritual work here is really uh, a little bit more effort on your part. It takes uh, less gentleness and more effort to do verse 2. Luther said this work requires strong shoulders. It is less like setting a broken bone and more like carrying the stretcher. All right? So you and I in this church are to, verse 2, look at it, bear one another's what? Burdens and there fulfill the law of Christ. How many of you would be willing to admit, I'm going to see a raise of hands, that Christians have burdens? Can I see your hands? Look at that. Oh my goodness. We have heavy burdens. Now the context here would dictate these are burdens of sin, but you can go beyond that. Sorrow, worry, doubt, failure, loneliness, illness, disability, depression. Not only do we face hardships, but there are times when you and I are incapable of bearing them alone. Incapable. You know that, understand, God intends to sometimes give you things in your life that you cannot bear on your own. So that you will interconnect with his family and experience his work through others to you. That's his intention. You were never in America, I know it's hard for us to think other than individualistic. But you are born again into a community. And God many times allows things in your life to force you to be interconnected with God's people and to drive that into permanency. And so not only are we to face hardships, but sometimes we can't handle them. They're so heavy, you've got to share them. And it's true that God does carry our burdens. In fact, he carried the most impossible burden, did he not? He carried the burden of our sin and our guilt. And he bore that burden on the cross. And he died there and took the ultimate cost. And it's true that if the Lord carried the heaviest and greatest of burdens, he obviously can carry any light burden that you might have, correct? So you've got to understand, he can do it. In fact, what's he say in Psalm 55, verse 22? Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will what? Sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him, because he what? He cares for you. I, I know a young couple, and the husband told me that only my wife has shoulders broad enough to carry the burden of always being right. Okay, that's what he said. But that's not what God is saying. God is telling you that he's got shoulders big enough to carry any and all burden, anyone that you might have. But even though that's true, that's not what he always intends. The Lord is not the only one that we share these burdens with. And that's very clear in this passage. The Lord designed a way to lighten our load and he intends for it to force us to depend on other believers to carry these burdens with us. That's how he works. That's how you experience his presence and his grace and his mercy through other believers. The Christians will bear those burdens with us, those who are spiritual. Do you, everybody know what a bellhop is? Anybody know what a bellhop is? 
um, I, I brought in my ring box, I brought something that would ring. Remember, remember these? Remember these? Yeah, these, these are great. Because when you go to a, a hotel in the old days, and the man behind the desk, he'd get you all checked in, and then he would go what? Right? And the bellhop would come, and he would grab your what? Your luggage, your burden, and he would what? Carry it to your room, and then carry it back out. And that's what they did. So this is what the Lord is telling you here this morning. He's basically, today when you're overwhelmed with loss, right? Uh, when you're just filled with loneliness, what? Okay? Uh, spiritual Christians are like bellhops. They come alongside. They're intended by the Lord to carry those burdens and loads with you. They'll pray with you. They'll listen to you. They'll even offer warm hugs and just be silent and be a partner and be a friend. They speak kind words. They'll offer a meal that may give you a passage or a book. They help you carry your load. They're a spiritual bellhop, right? When you see anybody in the church struggling under the weight of heavy troubles, you need to offer your shoulders to bear the burden. Share the weight pull their heavy load with them. This is not for leadership. This is for all of you, for all of you to participate in. You know, in every church, occasionally, there will be those, a few, very small, who will expect the body to bear all their burdens and to serve them over everything. And they themselves should do themselves, requiring wisdom and counsel as you deal with them. It happens. Those types are very challenging and often draining and distracting and delaying. But it's still crucial for all of us to bear burdens. You say, why is it so important? Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the what? The law of Christ. Now this is shocking. Paul's been passionately teaching us and teaching the Galatians that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and now he's talking about law. What is that all about? Uh, wait a minute. What does this mean? Well, Paul already told us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's the law of Christ. We have kept the law of love, even though our salvation doesn't depend on it, we're to keep it. And though we're not under the law, we are fulfilling the law of love. And when Paul says the law of Christ, it's the moral law, the law of love. It is Christ himself who taught us this. Over and over he said what? John fifteen twelve. It's everywhere in the New Testament. This is my commandment that you what? Love one another just as I've loved you. We're to love each other in that manner. And the law of Christ is the law of loving one another. That's what it is. And one way you fulfill the law of love is to bear one another's burdens. To bear each other's burdens. By carrying each other in this way, you become a law-abiding, a law-bearing Christian. Galatians 1, Galatians 2, Galatians 3, Galatians 4 proved that you are not saved by keeping the law. Can I hear an amen to that? No works on your part are going to save you. It's all going to be the work of God on your behalf through Jesus Christ, right? His death, His resurrection. And we're trusting in His work, not our work. But we prove we are Christ's when we bear each other's burdens. Listen, we prove we're truly spiritual when we bear each other's burdens. That's how we're spiritual. And the way that Christ 
bore our greatest burden, and the way that he continues to bear our burdens is, as our great high priest, is our example. We're not saved by the law, but we show by the law, the law of love, that we are Christ. So we belong to him, and that's the spiritual person. We, we hold each other. We bear each other's burdens. So if you're ready, let's try to take this home. All right? Two verses, quite a challenge. Letter A, are you cultivating your spiritual life? The true spiritual life. The problem with spiritual disciplines, it's legalistic and externalism. You know, you can say, I'm praying, I'm reading the word, I'm doing this. Listen, no steps you take make you a spiritual person. God saved you, he indwells you, he creates a hunger in you, and you can feed that hunger. The hunger that he's given you, you feed by the, the, the disciplines of grace, by the doctrines of grace, by, by ways in which you enrich that. But you're feeding that hunger. He's the one who cultivates that in you. Are you fueling, though, that hunger for relationship? <clears throat> not, not systems, but relationship. I'm jealous for you. Because I would want more than anything this morning for you to walk away with a greater desire to be closer to Jesus Christ. That's what I want. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. And you know what? You know this. Your friends, singles, require time and effort for you to maintain your friendship. Correct? Listen, spouses know this. Marriage doesn't work unless you work at it and you cultivate that relationship. Listen, your relationship with the Lord needs to also be what? Cultivated through time of prayer, through time in the Word, through maintaining your spiritual life with those disciplines. Listen, are you dating Jesus once a week or are you married to the Lord? The question is, are you in relationship? Maintain your relationship, all right? Letter B, letter B. Are you turning to the Lord and to others to bear your burdens? Now, all of us have difficulties, health, money, relationships, family hurts, other burdens, you know, this time of year, people are just overwhelmed with the, the plethora of things going on. Anybody with me on that? Ah! First, Peter 5.7. You want, the first thing you want to do is cast your anxiety on him. Say, Lord, I'm overwhelmed. Lord, I, I don't know how we're going to deal with this. Because what? He cares for you. Nothing comes to you by accident, right? And all things work together for good. Secondly, though, Depend on others to bear your burden. Some of you in this room used to have those relationships and things changed. Maybe they moved, maybe you grew, maybe you drifted away, maybe somebody hurt you or you just stopped. God expects us to be interconnected, linked like mountain climbers who are roped together. Uh, community groups, ministries, are where you build relationships and burden-bearing takes place. You should be free with sharing burdens to pray for one another, trust Christ, and rely on others. Letter C, do you genuinely love other Christians? Genuinely. There are a small few here this morning who are completely isolated. Uh, you're here this morning, but you're not connected to anybody. Maybe you live for only your family. That's a very small percentage. 
you have no ongoing intimate connection with other believers. There are a lot of reasons for this. Okay? I'm only going to state the one. Uh, the one that is scary is that you're living for yourself and not the Savior. That's a hard issue. You live for your will and not His Word. And if you love God, let me help you really, just simply, you know this repeatedly. If you love God, you will love others. Period. There's no exception to that. No exception. You'll love other Christians. And love means you'll sacrifice for them. Agape is not just a warm fuzzy. It's an action. And it usually involves giving and sacrifice. First John, that's right. First John 4.20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a... And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Do you regularly serve to others, give to others, help others, meaning love others? There is no way you can call yourself a Christian without loving others. There's absolutely no freedom in the New Testament. I'm not being legalistic. I'm just telling you that the expression of the heart of a genuine born-again Christian is they're going to want to love others. Period. Letter D. Are you committed to help others biblically? Committed to truly being spiritual? All of us need help from time to time. All of us need love, restoration, confession, rebuke, repentance, counsel. Paul makes it really clear. Never the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 1.1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the... Yeah, don't send people to sit under unsaved counsel, get them help with their problems, with you know, those who don't know Christ. Turn them to dependent people on God's, and to depend on God's gospel, God's word, God's spirit, God's church, through godly men and women who point them to the sufficiency of God's word, his spirit, his church, and the gospel. Letter E. Here's the hard question out of this text. Are you truly a spiritual person? A spiritual person. Are you indwelt with the Holy Spirit? Do you know His power to free you from the penalty of sin and the power of sin? Is He working through you to minister your giftedness in some manner? Or showing His fruit of love and joy and peace? And are you filled with the Spirit where He strengthens you? The Bible tells us when we're filled, we're strengthened, we're guided by Him. We're directed to obey his word. And most of all, are you filled in such a way that you, verse 1 and 2, pick others up and hold others up? Are you truly seeking to restore others and to bear other people's burdens? He's talking about, in this passage, our community and how we interrelate. You say, what about verses 3 through 6? Well, Paul gets even more practical. I can hardly wait for next week. You cannot miss it. It is more helpful. It is more pointed. And are you ready for this? All who are truly spiritual will be here next week. All right. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just this look as Paul redefines what our culture has manipulated and destroyed. Help us to see how spirituality actually works in the context of your family and how it works through our lives. We pray, Father, that if there are any here who don't know you personally, that you would awaken them to the reality that the only way they could ever be right with you is to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. 
Not that they would work for it, that they would just say, I'm surrendering to your work on my behalf. And depending on it to save me, not anything that I would do. God's not calling you who are not a Christian to be nice, to obey rules, to do things. He's asking you to turn to Him for forgiveness and cleansing and washing and grace and transformation. And for the rest of us, may we focus on gentle, gracious, meek restoration. Never being proud, never being arrogant, never giving credit to ourselves for what you do and trusting that we would bear each other's burdens. It's, it's tough. Life can be overwhelming and we need one another. We pray, Father, that you would move us to be more transparent, more open, and to, to really truly care for one another in this manner. And we'll give you glory for what you'll do because you deserve it all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast. And a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.